Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of East Screen West Screen. This is episode fifty-three for Tuesday, January twenty-fifth, two thousand and eleven. As usual, I am Paul Fox, and joining me from a secret location somewhere in the Fragrant Harbor is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. And we have a very special guest joining us for this episode: um, independent filmmaker. And Hong Kong resident as well, Mr. Marco Sparmberg. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, correct. Okay. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Also, the uh, the former head of Salon Films, uh, former head, <laughs> <of> <laughs> no, no, no. the head of development, content yes. development, not not the head of. So we're very fortunate to have uh, Marco with us. He's going to talk a little bit about a current project work he's working on and maybe some of his other works. Um, so, Kevin, I'm going to let you handle the interview since you um, have a little bit of a history with Mr. Spomberg. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. We, we have a couple of duos before. Uh, we have an on-off love and hate relationship, so to speak, as all independent filmmakers in Hong Kong should have, I guess. All right. Well, so, I'm going I'm to let you take it away. You. I <laughs> <laughs> love you. <laughs> All right, so so um, Marco is um, as we mentioned before, he's um, both a film student and also uh, kind of I guess an independent filmmaker outside of school. Uh, he's also was former head of content development at, at the Salon Films. But um, what what brought you to uh, Hong Kong in the first place, Marco? Uh, actually, studying just straight uh, DMFA program. So yeah. my master's in film. So why why choose Hong Kong or why Hong Kong? Why and as we say we go to Hong Kong Baptist University. Why Hong Kong Baptist University? Uh, why Baptist? I don't know. But uh, Hong Kong, <laughs> I actually know much better. Uh, in Germany, you can't do a master's on on film, um, and everywhere else it's too expensive. And I like Hong Kong Hong film since since I was young as a child. So so it was a logical choice somehow. So does that, mean, does that mean you're you're a fan of uh, Hong Kong cinema? Do you watch much Hong Kong cinema? Yeah, I really, I really like uh, the '80s Hong Kong films a lot. I grew up with them basically. They they were all running at uh, German TV every day, <laughs> every night. <laughs> yeah, the, the Marco I knew grew up on uh, John Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal movies in the '80s. Uh, yes, flanked by John Woo and Tsai Hak. <laughs> So, so if I could jump in, the, when you watch these films in Germany, were they subtitled or were they dubbed in German? No, they're all German. Uh, they all dub it, everything. Interesting. Uh, that brings up an interesting uh, story that 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 uh, uh, Marco told me before. That um, I guess, well, I'm not sure about geography, but uh, you guys, you guys are I mean, neighbors or near Poland. And then you told me that uh, in terms of um, dubbing films, that Poland only has one guy dubbing all the films, right? 
Yeah, it's 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 like a uh, it's like a monologue uh, uh, play. Uh, how to say a monologue speaker who just speaks all the roles in 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 a monotone uh, voice level. <laughs> so it's 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 really it's a really strange thing, and they and they keep the English uh, original in the back pretty pretty low down. That's kind of like what they do on on a lot of news reports a lot of times when they're like showing a news report that was originally in English and they've uh, you know done Yeah, but you, uh, but you but you have to see this uh this voice this this monologue voice is so uh totally not passionate totally just he's just reading the lines from his paper <laughs> <laughs> in, in all movies right he reads all the roles all movies he's, it's always the same guy uh and everyone likes him I don't know how that works. Kind so, of sounds like me back when I was in drama class. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, sorry for the digression. I'm now now you've been in Hong Kong for okay. Let's see. I met you two years ago. That was yeah. when you first came to school, right? So um, um, yeah, almost two and a half. Yeah. yeah, almost two and a half years now. I mean, you you've worked on outside stuff for school, I and mean, what else have you worked on in here in Hong Kong? Um, like, uh, about next to salon films and next to uh, <laughs> work at school, I suppose. I worked a couple of months at salon films. Yes, um, I did a couple of um, what is it? Uh, promotional stuff, music videos, things like that. Just uh, the regular stuff, basically. Mm. So, um, oh, and I was an extra at Lover's Discourse. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't see you. <laughs> I know you told me about the scene, but I, I think you were in the blur in the background. I'm sitting sitting behind Ethan. So, this guy somehow blocks me. <laughs> really pleasant. Yeah, so actually, Marco has ran to a few celebrities, mostly behind the, the camera celebrities. Uh, like, uh, you've met um, Peter Powell, right? I think at, at Salon. Um, Quite a few behind the behind the scenes talents, is that right? Uh, yeah, mostly cameramen, directors, um, some editors as well. Yeah. Do you get mm-hmm. Do you get starstruck at all with with I mean, if you run into people like Eason or or some of these uh, celebrities, you know, do you do you feel a sense of uh, awe in their presence, or do you just see them as you know people working in the industry like yourself? Um, it, in the beginning it was, uh, but then, but then it changed uh, to, uh, they're just regular people, you know, just because in, in the, in the end you have to work with them at yeah, some point. Yeah. I, I remember, I, I think I told Kevin this story. I ran into, um, uh, Gordon Lau and he was just sitting in McDonald's. He was waiting for, uh, a TVB truck to come pick him up and he was there with a friend or an assistant or something. And I really just so wanted to go over and just, you know, say, hi, I loved your films. I loved all your martial arts stuff. I loved you. You know, I love your TVB comedies now. And, and you were one of the reasons I came to Hong Kong. And, you know, I was sitting there with my, my wife, at girlfriend at the time. And she's like, just go over, just go over and talk to him. I'm like, no, no, he's in McDonald's. You don't bother people when they're having, a, you know, a meal in McDonald's. It's it's not the proper forum. I'll wait, you know, because I, I, I did take a picture with him once a long time ago at one of the film festivals. You know, it's a much more appropriate setting. I just felt really, I felt like it'd be a really big jerk if I went up to him in McDonald's and just started fawning over him, you know. 
Yeah, but it's 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 true when you uh, when you meet these people um, in like a professional environment, and then you come down to the table, then they don't want to be bothered with an autogram, uh, a, a picture, or whatever. They just want to make straight business. You know, and 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 and, and it, in this situation, you just have to do your job basically, mm-hmm. and not thinking about what 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 kind of uh, past they had or, or what you liked on them just focus on the project and then everything's fine mm-hmm. so when I when I see someone I really don't really know then then I'm not talking to him actually okay so that brings us to your current project then. I mean has, has anyone um, all these stars or these famous behind the scenes people that, that you met giving you any advice about Squattertown? I mean, you've obviously taken this project quite far. Um, it's had quite a big presence online. Uh, but have you, have you tried pitching it to, to some of the people in the industry? I pitched to some, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, pitched to some and basically the reactions were all really positive. Everyone was saying it's a, it's a solid project. It's a solid idea, uh, really sound. And uh, everyone liked it. Mm-hmm. Maybe could you give a little bit of more of a uh, some of the background on your concept of the uh, dim sum western, and you know how you sort of came up with this idea? Is it a direct spinoff of you know the so-called spaghetti westerns of old, or is sure. is it is it something that just appeals to you personally, or? Um, yeah, so Squatter Town, the project itself, is a, a mini web series, and um, we call it a dim, dim, dim sum western, but it's pro- probably like more more like a, a Mad Max style apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic um, western. Um, the idea for dim sum western was actually a personal uh, project of mine when I when I started when I came here in, to Hong Kong. Uh, and then I started to to think about what is the connection between spaghetti western from the 60s and 70s and, and Hong Kong films from the 80s, since every director was was saying in 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 some interviews that they were influenced by spaghetti western, especially uh, John Woo. So I wanted to draw the line and then create a new genre, basically a new local genre. You you've finished filming now, right? Uh, I think you just finished filming today. I saw your Twitter. Yes, yes, right, right. Yes. Today. Uh, so, then, the last shot today. so then, were you? Are you more since you're working in this genre? Do you find yourself more thinking more Leone, or do you see yourself thinking more more Hong Kong shoot uh, the the Hong Kong shooting style, so to speak? Um, actually, right now I'm going far more into the Hong Kong di- di- direction and trying not to. To copy or think about uh, uh, spaghetti western, I, I really want to try to find a more local approach right now. Hmm. Okay, so you you filmed, you've worked on filming in Hong Kong for two and a half years now. Um, has anything changed since then when you're on the set of Squatter Town? I mean, of course, this is the first. I mean, not the first time, but you're. This is a pretty ambitious project. I mean, I heard multiple locations, and you're talking about doing guerrilla shooting and stuff like that. So. Um, has anything changed since you first started? You shot you first time you shot in Hong Kong. Uh, what do you mean? Ch- change on my productions or change yeah. in the industry? Or no, on the on your production. I mean, the way you work or or the the new the way you shoot. Uh, the way I shoot it became actually faster. 
I, I, I do invest more time into uh, preparation and pre-production. Um, I um, handpick my crew more carefully than, than, than before. And in the end, everything becomes much smoother and much faster. Yeah, I was surprised how smooth it went, especially after hearing uh, some problems with uh, securing locations and things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so I mean, what what kind of challenges did you run into this time? Yeah. So basically, we what we did was a was a real squatter shoot. So at some some locations, we did had not no uh, permissions. Um, but I was I was like how do you say, Rec- making reconnaissance of these locations for, for like two months. Um, and, and I know the patrol times of the security car cuts and, and we, we stick to their timetable. So it means uh, uh, we shot two hours on the, on, on the roof, then we went down to McDonald's, waited for one hour till, till they are gone, and then we, we went back up. And, and it worked, it worked. It sounds stupid and strange, but but in the end it worked. Um, but we we only did this because uh, uh, some of the locations it was really really unclear who is really responsible for it. Um, we were we were sent from 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 the property de- de- developer to the urban renewal authority to the residents, and they sent us back to the property developer. So we we went in circles for three weeks basically, and in the end we had no permissions at all. Which is I, I find that kind of surprising because I remember a couple of years ago there was a really big push um, by the Arts Development Council for to like attract filmmakers and people to come film in Hong Kong, um, and I would have assumed that they would have made doing things like that, like getting a location and and figuring out where the paperwork needs to go. Yeah, a bit yeah. easier. Basically, basically, we 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 followed all the instructions of the what's it called film services office. Yeah, uh, we we made a production insurance, which is really not common for for uh, university projects. Um, we had all the paperwork, but the problem where the locations we choose are really abandoned houses, basically. Uh, houses that are about to be demolished in the next couple of months, and and almost no one is living there anymore. Um, so the situation on these locations was um, quite complicated, usually. Mm-hmm. So it it wasn't really applying to what what the Hong Kong Film Development Council uh, was in, intended to right to, to push for. Well, before um, you started shooting and. Um, apologies again. You sent me a questionnaire uh, for the blog, uh, wanted me to um, give some <laughs> advice to 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 Hong Kong filmmakers. And part of the reason I never got to it is because I, I mean, you have much more experience than I did. I, I shot, I shot, you know, movies at school for a year. I was really, I was quite a lazy filmmaker myself. So now going through these experiences, what advice do you have for any independent filmmakers who want to come to Hong Kong to to shoot? Um, plan it well have an answer for everything. What could happen, what can, can happen, and what happens on the set. Uh, basically, pre, pre-production preparation is everything. Um, it only went that smooth because I, I really invested like two to three months of pre, pre-production into the whole thing. Now, now is Hong Kong, uh, compared to play, other places you've shot at, is Hong Kong 
more difficult or easier to shoot it? Uh, basically, it's easier. It's easier because uh, when you shoot on the street and, and a policeman comes along, then they won't bust you when you have no permission. They let you go. Basically, in 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 other countries, you're you you're already in jail. <laughs> that's, no, it, that's basically it, the true truth. So, is it that they, they wouldn't I, bust you because you looked like a foreigner or because you were a student? Um, no, when you when you when you say you're a student, then usually they just say finish in the next ten minutes and yeah, then go. Yeah, that's usually the advice I tell my students when they go out and film. Uh, little documentary projects and things. I say, if you know, any officers come up to you, just tell them you're a student. Show your student ID, and they shouldn't hassle you. Yeah. And they haven't had any and, problems. Yeah, we're, we're filming in Hong Kong. Most uh, my experience is that yeah, most Hong Kong police are tend to be reactive more than proactive. So if, only if someone else complains, you are production on a street, you block in the street or something, then the police will give you trouble. But yeah. otherwise, I, I've shot in like. Three in the morning in Central, uh, down the street from a whole police car of cops, and they didn't give us any trouble. Yeah, sure, true. Yeah, sure. They just didn't know it was you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only if they knew that the man become me. Yes. No. Um. But yeah, Hong Kong. I mean, actually, the the biggest the biggest obstacle I find that biggest obstacle in shooting in Hong Kong actually isn't the cops. It's more of the other government authority. You got your uh, the parks authorities. You have got the um, You've got your food and services people, and actually all the other non, non, I guess, um, police force actually give you the most trouble. Does that does that apply to your? To, did that apply to your production, Marco? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Like like I said, we were uh, pushed from from one authority to the next. Um, but actually, I have to I have to emphasize, um, it's not like. Like you can go out now and shoot everything you want on the streets without any permission. Ask for it first. Mm. Ask for everything first. Try to get the permission in the in the first place. Don't just think, oh, it's Hong Kong. Everyone is, is uh, thinks it's a is a uh, it's a film city, and we'll go okay. So be be prepared. That's basically my advice. Yeah, that is also something I would back up because Hong Kong is definitely not a film city. If you if you've seen um if you've seen older Hong Kong films in the 80s where you got a, a chase down the street and suddenly you're back there's about 200 people waiting that's because the the crew didn't get permission to close the street so it's closed it <laughs> on the fly and that's why there's always people gathering not knowing what's going on they see Andy Lau or whatever so Hong Kong is, I agree with Margaret Hong Kong is not particularly film friendly city yeah but um now let's move but on it, to oh. but compared to other to other cities it is it is much much more friendly than 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 like I don't know Berlin, for example, or London. Mm. I mean, in London, you can get into really, really serious trouble when you when you not have apply and um, a permit for everything you do. Yeah, I, I remember when I worked on my student project. I I never had a sense of, you know, really big fear if if I you know if the police would have come come along or something. But I think if I were doing it in mainland China, uh, it'd probably be a different story altogether. Uh, I think uh, I think I wouldn't want to necessarily try and be a filmmaker there on the you know on the the sort of uh, how you call it the the guerrilla filmmaking route. And I know some filmmakers have done that and they've smuggled films out. But yeah, there's no one no one should have to do that. <laughs> uh, well, I can assure you they still do. <laughs> okay, especially, well, let's, uh... especially Hong Kong Hong Kong productions. Uh, there's still a lot of smuggling going on. In Shenzhen. 
You mean smuggling? Or oh, is that just like a salon thing that you can't talk about? Or it's totally, <laughs> it's totally okay. Uh, no, no, no. It's, it's, um, some 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 productions take the take uh, cash over the, the border. Some some take um, um, equipment and stuff like that. But it's it's not salon related. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's on the record. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, let's move on to um, how you um, how you use the new media to 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 fund this project. Um, we we've talked about it on the show here um, using uh, Indiegogo. I think that's one of the sites uh, crowdfunding um, to to fund this project. Can you tell us a little more about how you how uh, for people who are not in the know, tell them how you funded this project? Yeah, so basically we we had a crowd sponsoring approach, um, and we were running the project and on two web platforms. One is in the U.S. called Indiegogo, and one is called My Sherpas in Germany. Um, and we raised like eighty percent of the whole budget through these platforms. Uh, and it works like that: you put your project pitch on on the web, and then uh, people give you small amounts of money, like ten dollars, fifty dollars, one hundred, and then in the end, it it adds up to your to your budget, basically. So, how did it work out in your in your project? Uh, like I said, we we made eighty percent and worked quite well. So that think, that's pretty impressive, right? Yeah. Do you think this would be something you'd you'd continue to utilize on future projects? Um. Sure, sure, but I think it it, it only works to a to a special uh, to a, um, to a cer- certain amount of, of budget. I think I can't raise like three hundred thousand on this. Mm. Uh, but with the current budget, it, it it worked quite well. It was small, it was flexible, uh, and we could raise funding just within two months. I think. Do Do you think that could be? Um a signal a new future for, for indie filmmakers, um, for those who don't want to go the traditional route? Um. Oh, d- definitely, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, definitely. But um, don't expect to get your 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 first film you put online uh, funded. Uh, split it split it up into into small portions, like just just for the distribution, uh, fundraising, or just production or script development or whatever. And also to give a little bit of clarity um, to some of the listeners out there who may not have encountered this before, you actually had different tiers that people could, you know, support the production with, and and those tiers came with different benefits as well. So there was, you know, there it's not like people were just supporting you on a whim. Um, they could see the work that you'd done before to know that you know you were serious. You weren't just you know. Uh, gonna take the money and run kind of thing and and you also had little perks uh, along the way yeah yeah you have to give something something back in order to attract the pe- people yeah yeah speaking of which i'm still waiting for my squatter town mug in the in the mail <laughs> <laughs> mug no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no no um yes and 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 basically I'm not sure. I think 70% of the of the backers and funders are on these web platforms. I don't know. I never seen in my life. 
um, and they gave me this money because of the of the pitch or someone someone else referred them to, to me or I, I can't even track it back actually <laughs> but it works it works yeah are there any other way for investors to actually make this money back um, or do you consider I mean I know I know in this case it's a donation but later on would it become a way you know to become an investment as in a way that people could make money your that your donors can make money uh, right now this whole crowds crowd sponsoring uh, approach has no return channel so there's no basically no return of investment it's more uh, you help someone creating a project um, and then you stick with him during the entire process and you have fun and and he gives you something something back for your uh, for your money and uh, I think when you when you talk about new fundraising schemes or fundraising approaches for filmmaking then there will be other other um, other stuff pop- popping up soon with return channels on it okay so then um, one last fun one last question um, and this is kind of a general one what advice do you have for any um, independent filmmakers such as yourself uh, I guess maybe two and a half years ago um, who who uh, wants to make a movie but doesn't really have any I guess financial means to or 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 they're they're finding their way what, what advice do you have for them? what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> no well, any any advice for any aspiring independent filmmaker essentially you mean in terms of uh, fundraising or of finance um I, I guess suppose in general um let's start with finance then let's start with finance they're trying to trying to get their first film started what what do you what what advice do you have for them um that's a bit complicated because um it, you have you have so many f- funding funding channels on on a, on a film production and not every funding channel suits your your production you can't generalize it actually yeah. um my advice could be um, try it out. Try um, make some make some test runs. Uh, try out crowdfunding. Try out uh, um, direct pitching to uh, potential investors. Try to make product placement. Whatever. Try it out first, and then and then and then make up your strategy for the for the real film that you want to do. Okay. Then then now, what about <clears throat> someone like yourself who is. <clears throat> Maybe they don't find any exit, or they don't find any um, ways to make films in their own country, and want to go to another country and 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 try out filmmaking at other places. What advice do you have for them? Just do it. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> it, it, it. It's the only thing. Don't 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 hesitate and think it's another kind of country. Just go go there and make your make your own experience and and do it. Shoot it. Okay. Um, well, that's um, that's it for our interview. Um, Marco, where can people um, see your work or follow follow uh, what you're doing uh, on the internet? Um, Squatter Town is on Facebook and on Twitter now. Um, the final product will be on the regular video channels like YouTube, Vimeo, 
and we also try to develop a, a mobile app for iPhone, iPad, whatever. Let's well, see. Okay, okay. How about um, how about people who just want to follow you or not 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 Squatter Town? Uh, you have a Twitter, is that right? I have a Twitter, yes, under my name. <laughs> yes, that's Marco Spomberg in uh, one word, I think. When, when do you um, expect the um, when do you expect Squatter Town to be in release? Um, I hope I have something. To, I hope I have the trailer ready by end of February, and the whole thing should be up and running by March, mid end of March. I hope, but I can't promise. <laughs> yes, uh, what I've heard is I just started post production and and apparently a lot of special effects, right, Marco? Um, I will do a lot of uh, not not really special effects. It's more it's more background uh, like matte paintings, mapping stuff like that. All right, quite an ambitious project, I would say. At least, um, well, the more ambitious uh, short films I've heard uh, from from people in film school. Um, thank you, Marco. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Marco. Um, I hope I hope uh, wish you best of luck on uh squatter town and uh oh uh, last episode we were talking about the the film club actually that that you started over at school uh do you want to talk a little bit more about that before you go or um a little, little shout out or a little uh promotion oh yeah it's uh, basically it's that's a a small film club we launched at hkkbu and we call, call it screening under influence i'm not really sure why <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we will screen a film in the best possible quality we can get, so on a on a, on a Blu-ray, um, at a big screen at our school every Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And this week, uh, look, it's looking like we have a poll every week, uh, so it's looking like this week for the twenty-sixth. Yes, so we are we are really d- d- democratic, and you can choose your film from the from a selection we pre-choose. And I see we have uh, 75% for Scott Pilgrim tomorrow. Yeah. Yes, so three, three, four, three votes out of four will be <laughs> for Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we will yeah. be watching uh, Scott Pilgrim tomorrow night. And uh, yeah. I guess people who want to, who want to meet Marco personally, uh, ask for their money back, can see him at, uh, at <laughs> the uh, Hong Kong Baptist University every Wednesday at 6.30. Is that right? 7.30? Yeah. Uh, 7.30 at the first floor. Um, and basically, it's it's a it's a film club where we can discuss after the film whatever we saw or what we like, what we didn't like, things like that. So it's not just playing seeing seeing a movie like in the cinemas. All right, sounds great. So uh, thank you again, Marco. Uh, hope Squire Town turns out really well. Yeah. And, uh, uh, thank thank you too for sponsoring it. <laughs> It's it's our pleasure. I'm looking really looking forward to seeing it actually. <laughs> Me too. All right. First bit of news this week. Oscars. They're going on as we're recording, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yeah, um they just finished uh announcing the nominations just as we finished our interview with Mr. Spomberg. Uh, so a quick rundown. I haven't had a chance to tally the numbers yet, but uh, I think the stories are saying uh, King's Speech, the British film about uh, King George, I think, uh, getting a speech therapy 
uh, as much as I need speech therapy, uh, gets the most nominations, uh, 11 nominations, with uh, Social Network, um, which is a big favorite after the Golden Globes and all the other critics' awards, uh, right behind it. Uh, and uh, this year is the second year where um, the Academy has decided to open up the Best Picture category to 10 films instead of just five films. So um, here's a quick list of the stuff uh, nominated. Uh, in addition to The King's Speech and The Social Network, we also have Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are All Right, 127 Hours, Toy Story 3, True Grid, and the independent film Winter's Bone. Um, not much of a surprise there. These, these films have shown up on a lot of lists, so um, nothing particularly surprising. Uh, what is surprising and more relevant to this um, podcast is the snubbing of both the Japanese film Confessions in the foreign language film. It, didn't, it made the short list of nine films but did not get on the final nominations list. And also Summer Wars, the Japanese animated film, which was also shortlisted for a Best Animated Film nomination, was also snubbed um, by How to Train Your Dragon, uh, The Illusionist, and Toy Story 3. Uh, so that's two Best Film nominations for Toy Story 3, both Best Picture and Best Animated Film. Um, well, I don't think it's got a chance of Best Picture. Oh, of course not. But um, it will win Best Animated Film, I hope. I hope, I hope. Yeah, it, it's it's likely. <laughs> Although I really loved How to Train Your Dragon. Um, really? I just, yeah, yeah. I, we talked about this last time. It's a sequel. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think we talked about it when we talked about the episode. It's its just kind of going through the motions of the other two. It was good. It was a good climax to the story. I just didn't think there was a lot new there um, in terms of the character development of the Woody and Buzz. They were doing the same old shtick. And yeah, it's probably going to win. Um, I, I think I'd be a little happier if How to Train Your Dragon won, though, because at least that's... A little newer, although it was the same designs by um, the artist who did uh, Lilo and Stitch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the dragon does kind of look like Stitch a little bit in some ways, his his mannerisms. Some people said he's more like a dog. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that they might end up giving it to Toy Story 3, not just for the third film, but um, for the entire franchise, for the achievement of the entire franchise, do you think that's that's really the more likely case of why they, they would give it to? Yeah, I think that's likely, and also I think that Pixar still has a prestige that DreamWorks, and you know, just in terms of their quality and and their reputation, that DreamWorks just hasn't really gotten to yet in terms of that level. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they're doing more productions than Pixar, and like I said last time, I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think eventually we'll start to see the, the level, and I think we've seen the level of quality from the early days of what DreamWorks was doing uh, increase over the years as they've competed with Pixar, and I think they're, the gap's closing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't agree since the only DreamWorks anime film I saw in 2010 was Shrek 4, so that, that was definitely not up to, up to yeah, par. I haven't so. seen that. Every set was so bad. Um, I, just, I wouldn't call it so bad. Uh, it's a fitting end to the franchise, but it just... Well, 3 was just terrible. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just like, ah, I like you, Mike Myers, but you got to stop doing these. They're just not... They just didn't have the same old... You know, as sequels... I don't know. Sequels, especially animation sequels, run into this trap. And, I, and I'm kind of 
nervous that Pixar's, you know, next year their their film is Cars Two, and yeah. I didn't think Cars One was all that great. Um, I think some of the shorts they've done in the interim uh, have been funny. Um, there's one where the character Tomato dreams he goes to Japan, and so there's like a lot of Japanese references. I thought it was a great short. I just don't know if it's got, you know, the the stuff there. I didn't think it was sequel worthy. Um, mm-hmm. But Kung Fu Panda Two, I'm super excited about. So <laughs> now, now there's a double standard here. Yeah. I mean, that's a sequel as well, too. All right. I mean, I know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about more snubs uh, in the nominations. Uh, Inception. Only uh, in the major awards, only a best picture and a best original screenplay uh, nomination. No, nothing for Christopher Nolan. Nothing for the cast. Um, that you know, I like the film. Um, I can understand why I didn't. I wouldn't get a nomination in the um, acting category, but no best pick. No best director. Well, I, w- I don't think Nolan. it's got. A sh- I really wouldn't think it's got a shot at best picture. But yeah, I, I best director. He deserves to be in that category at least. Yeah, Christopher Nolan drove that movie from development, from the writing to to how it looks visually. Everything was Christopher Nolan, but um, they, they 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 acknowledge it in the best picture category, but not in best directing. Uh, quite surprising. Um, screenplay. Well, I think I think it's a better chance to win a screenplay. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's got a shot for that. I think. I think so. Um, I'm not sure any other any other uh, big snub here. Um, Nobody's been talking about Black Swan. Yeah, Black Swan, plenty of nominations. Uh, yeah. Natalie Portman, Best Picture, Best Director. But what I'm looking for is where was the last Airbender? Come on, M. Night Shyamalan, Best Director. Yeah, I think yeah, you're looking at the film. wrong awards. Best film. <laughs> yeah, I think you're waiting for the Razzies. <laughs> no, come on, Tyler, Tyler Notner for uh, for Twilight. Robert Patterson. <laughs> oh, did you see the the? Um, this is totally off topic. Kozo sent out a tweet with some pictures of Chinese stars pretending they're in other movies. And oh, yes. a couple of these yes. new stars, I didn't even know who they were, but they they did like Twilight. And then the guy, the, the guy from um, Under the Hawthorne Tree, the new actor, he did a Captain Jack Sparrow. Yes. Um, it, I the, don't know what happened there. It's really good quality photography i mean they really went all out with the art direction and the makeup and everything um yes but, but the entire <laughs> thing is just so i mean uh, uh it's Joe funny you as uh as the girl with the the the, the, the pearl and yeah. yeah funny stuff uh, yeah it was just so weird i don't know why it's just creepy i'm just waiting yeah. for like you know yeah uh kirsten stewart and taylor lautner to you know dress up like confucius or something i don't know Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> All right. Um, more let's, awards. Let's talk a little bit more about the awards. Um, the AFA nominations came out recently. Um, you have any thoughts on those? Yeah. Um, I was actually at the at the uh, press conference, um, by the way, so I saw these nominations being read. Uh, there are a lot of, uh, I mean, as you can expect, um, you have confessions and uh, let the bullets fly. I did not expect to come in the last minute like that, but I am glad uh, I did get a lot of uh, nominations. Uh, six, I believe, the same as confessions. Um, I was surprised about how many manga got. Manga, the Taiwanese gangster film, wasn't nominated for um, neither um, Best Picture or Best Director, but yet it still managed to grab five nominations. That's more nominations than Aftershock. 
yeah. um, which was kind of a really heavy favorite coming in. Um, also, Uncle Boomy, the uh, the the Thai movie by uh, Apichapong, uh, that won the Palm d'Or at Cannes Film Festival 2010, only got one nominations, uh, which made it kind of feel like a, a comp- I guess a, a, a cons- consolation prize. Um, Thirteen Assassins by Takeshi Miike. That's was that was also not a surprise, but. Um, I believe you you saw on your Twitter, Paul, that you had a couple of uh, surprise. You saw a couple of surprise yourself, right? Yeah. Well, the the one that just threw me for a loop was <laughs> Michelle Yeoh for Reign of Assassins. I just was like, yeah, that can't be right. And then you know, a couple people defended her selection, but I just did not see it in the role. I mean, it, first of all, it was a dubbed role, and I've got issues with that. And we, we that that's probably something we can get into more deeply on another episode, but. It just did not seem like it, the role was that worthy of best actress. Uh, I just mm-hmm. didn't see it in in what she was portraying in that character, and you know what she was doing, being being dubbed as a voice in in many ways. Um, the other one that surprised me was the nomination of Karina Lau for Let the Bullets Fly, yeah. which she was fine in, but she had a really kind of small role. And it totally overlooked her role as um, the Empress Wu in uh, in Detective D, which I thought she was much much better in. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that Michelle Yeoh wasn't good in Reign of Assassins, but but I would like you said I would say that there are better better choices or better choices. Like you said, um, I think Korean Lao would have might have was a good choice, better choice for Detective D. Um, the the main actress from uh, poetry, uh, her name escapes me right now, which who has been really actually sweeping the awards in Korea. I'm really surprised she didn't get nominated for poetry because that really is her movie. She was really in the center of this this film, and yet this film that got both the best director and best screenplay and best picture nomination did not give a nomination to his lead actress. A really strange uh, turn of events here for me. Yeah, it, I don't know. It's at any awards show, you can always come away a little bit shocked at some of the selections. That's normal, I guess. Okay, well, um, we'll find out uh, what happens. Uh, the award will be given out on uh, March 23rd, I believe, 21st or 23rd. Either way, uh, I think I will have a ticket to be there, and uh, you can either follow this through the SHA Twitter or follow the Twitter, my Twitter feed, and uh, we'll talk about the winners then. Yeah, and I think I heard that ricky gervais will not be hosting right uh no i will be taking his place (laughs) that's even worse (laughs) oh wouldn't that be something and now to officiate the golden rock mr kevin ma (laughs) yes i will piss off everyone i won't be funny i promise i won't ever be funny i would never be funny it's a good thing didn't get me i'd be up there going Michelle Yeoh doesn't deserve to win for Reign of Assassins. Everybody knows it. You know, it'd be like the tourist, right, all over again. No, I'll be like, <laughs> you know, you know, they took bribes. I mean, they didn't, they didn't even nominate Vampire Warriors for anything. Yeah, how's that possible? Where's, where's Chrissy Chow? She <laughs> belongs on this list. Oh. Well, our final bit of news this week. A um, little bit of news about the film we talked about last time. Let the bullets fly. Um, Looks like it's breaking some records and doing pretty well. Um, I, I saw a tweet that I'm not sure if it was you or someone else earlier gave out today that they're, the stars are coming out to do uh, another final push to try and get it over the record mark. Is that correct? 
Yeah, um, they, they, the the production company, which actually is John Wynn's own company, uh, they brought out the big, the major stars. Um, probably not including Chow Yun Fat, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure which Goyo is which film Goyo is working on this week. So I'm not even sure if he made it either. Um, because if if you guys follow Chinese film, Goyo was actually in all three of the big films. Uh, this past Christmas, if you're the one too, um, let the bullets fly and sacrifice. Um, that's the Shanghai Go film. So no idea if he showed up. Um, but yeah, they gave uh, one big push before the Chinese New Year. Uh, once because once the Chinese New Year starts and all the film starts rolling out, that is going to bury bullets. Uh, let the bullets fly, and the producer wants um, wants them to push it over the 700 million RMB mark. Uh, they've already broken. The aftershock record, I believe, uh, that's six hundred and sixty-four million RMB. They are definitely going to break that record, but they want to push it over, I guess, uh, a symbolic seven hundred million RMB. So uh, hopefully, this one big push could help. But um, actually, the film has already shown up uh, on the internet legally. Uh, you can pay five yuan, uh, five RMB, for to watch it as many times as you want within uh, forty-eight hours. Uh, you can watch either the, I think both the Sichuanese and the Mandarin version, um, which make this kind of legal web streaming thing kind of a big thing now. Because the rights, uh, I tweeted also this week that the rights were sold for a record price, <clears throat> and uh, I mean that's a new type of distribution that uh, that's Chinese film is trying to beat the the internet piracy, and that's uh, of course that will be another story for another time. But uh, yeah, let the birds fly. Already making a lot of money, but still trying to make more. Hmm. I should change the title to Let the Renman Be Fly. <laughs> You're listening to the East Screen West Screen Podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. Well, I think it's time to move on and talk about our East Screen films for this week. What do we have up first, Kevin? Uh, first, we just talked about this film. Uh, if You're the One Too by Feng Xiaogang. Another Goyo movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, why, don't, why, don't, why don't you you start us off? Because I don't have a whole lot of nice things to say about this movie. Oh dear! All right, you 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 get ready, Paul. Um, get ready to rip your tirade out. I'll, I'll start talking about the movie. Uh, if you're the one too, is the direct follow-up to uh, Feng Xiaogan's very successful uh, romantic comedy. Um, it was at at one point the the most uh, successful, I believe, a Chinese language film in China in history. At about four hundred million RMB, uh, big hit. Um, the first film uh, was about. Um, Goyo's character, forty-year-old, something forty-something-year-old man, um, him looking for a wife. So he goes from woman to woman and ends up with um, Xiao Xiao, played by Xu Qi. Um, and a good thing about that film was, even though the the the, the humor is very dry, the good thing about that film was um, finding a comedy in both uh, the Goyo Chin uh, Fen situation. Chin uh, Fen is the Goyo's character's name. Uh, the, the various women that Qin Feng runs into, and also the dynamic between Xiao Xiao and Qin Feng, which, um, like all, all odd couples, can be uh, rather hostile at times. Um, 
so now after all that money's made, no, there's no way Feng Xiaogan is going to let go. Uh, so what he did was he decided to make a sequel this year, and that's if you're the one too. Um, this time the, uh, the the looking for a wife thing is out the window, and the film deals directly now with the uh, relationship between Qin Fen and Xiao Xiao. Um, the film takes place two years after the first film, uh, with Qin Fen um, proposing to Xiao Xiao. Uh, quite an unconventional um, proposal, I would say. Um, he proposed to her on the fact that he doesn't love her. So of course that that kind of starts off. Uh, uh, this is kind of a rough start to the new 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 marriage. Um, the idea is that um, Xiao Xiao is kind of is doubtful. She she is looking for love, while Qin Fen, who is kind of now just looking for someone to companionship. He doesn't want exciting love anymore. He just wants. Um, he's sure that he wants to be with someone, but and then he knows that Xiao Xiao. He's looking for, but Xiao Xiao herself isn't. So the whole film, at least the first half of the film, um, kind of plays with that dynamic while um, they're off in uh, Qin Fen's little seaside resort in Hainan Island. Um, a lot of dry Feng Xiaogan humor in this part, uh, a lot of verbal verbal wordplay again, back, back and forth. Um, uh, one thing, one person is always saying the wrong thing to another, and um, it's all very dry humor, uh, kind of Feng Shagan style. Um, and I think like the first one, Goyo and Shuchi are quite a likable pair, but I thought they were good together. Um, even though the their relationship now is kind of, which was weak in the first film, kind of weak in the first film in the first place. Now it's just right in front and, front and center, which really kind of is stretching the length of this film. The movie is two hours long and you can't really spend an hour just going back and forth about the same thing, but that's what they do. Um, and then, you, so then end up the, the first half didn't really end up going anywhere. It just went from one point to another that could have been dealt with in about five minutes, but instead it took an entire hour. Um, I didn't really have too much of a problem in this half because at least you have some amusing things. You have a uh, Qing Fen uh, testing Xiao Xiao's commitment by pretending to be in a wheelchair, pretending to be to be uh, uh, paralyzed, and you know that's that's kind of funny though the way they they deal with the situation. Um, but then it takes a really sharp turn in the second half when uh, Xun Honglei um, uh, shows up as a uh, Shang Shang San Shang San. Yes, that's his name. Shang San, who is a uh, uh, Xin Fen's best friend, and um, he's added to the mix, and his issues become front and center for the second half of the film, and that's when the film kind of goes to hell because that's when Feng Xiaogan tries, and his screenwriter uh, Wan Shuo, who was his work um, actually as a co-screenwriter on some of Feng's uh, earlier comedies, uh, he decide they decide to make something way too meaningful of this material. They add a death into the mix, and there's. Um, becomes really sober and melodramatic and Su Hong Lei essentially spends the final half an hour of the film running up, acting like it's that running up breath. Um, and just too much award bait to me. Um, and too much trying to make people cry and too many uh, essentially the Feng Xiaogan tricks. Um, but of course, what do I know? I mean, many people cried at the screening and people talked about how, how touching uh, the last half an hour was. I personally didn't get it. Um, I just really wanted it to end by the time it hit uh, uh, a certain final gathering. Um, in the end, it doesn't really justify its need to exist. Uh, when we talk about 
uh, aspect of art. It doesn't really uh, extend the story to anywhere. It doesn't really um, justify the need to be told the story. Um, but for Huayi Brothers, it made another ton of cash. So the cash always justified the need. So that's why if you're the one two got made, and that's probably why if you're the one three will be made, and we'll be back here and probably talking about how how hard Feng Shaogang is showing people cry again. But hey, that's Feng Shaogang and me 400 million RMB. So what do we know, right? Well, yeah. Um, I think they should, if they do another one, they should call it If You Are the Cash Cow. <laughs> because I guess that's what this is. Um, I just got to say, <laughs> damn boring. Um, <laughs> how, could, how could they mess this up? I don't know. Because I really loved the first film. I remember thinking the first film was a little bit too long, but I really loved it. I loved the dynamic of the the characters, um, their rapport, the way their relationship developed. I loved all the you know preliminary dates uh, that the Chin Fun character went on initially. Here you've got none of that. Here it's like, I, I, you just how how could they mess this up? I was totally blindsided, thinking, oh, they have to have some of the chemistry from the first film, and I, I don't think they had it. Um, this, uh, the first thing that just came across, you know, was the massive displays of wealth that they've got going on here. Um, the film starts with a high-end divorce ceremony between um, Sun Hong Lei's character and, and his, his, at that time, wife, a uh, character named Mango. And it's just like, it's, you think you're going to this lavish wedding ceremony, and it's a divorce ceremony. And it's just ridiculous. funny. But it's ridiculous. You know, it's just such an... An, an overly arrogant display of wealth, I would say, that, you know, in, in times, especially now, people are hurting, you've got things like inflation, you're going to go to a movie and, and see people spending all this money on this super high-end divorce, um, you know, it's just, it, it didn't, it didn't seem humorous uh, as, as much as offensive to me um, as it was. But, you know, yeah, and, you know, instead of swearing an, an oath on a Bible or on Mao's little red book, what do they swear on? They swear on a stack of cash, right? I mean, how trite is that? Um, but then after it gets out of that, you, you get the two, two characters. There's a proposal. They end off, where do they go? Well, they go off to Hainan um, to the La Meridian Resorts. That's where he's living at. Now, I remember that he made a load of cash off of uh, selling a device, and so, okay, he's, he's in the money, which is fine, and he's living here at this resort in um, Shime in, in Hainan. Um, but this is like 20 minutes into the movie, and that's when the credits started. I was like, what's, what's, wait, this movie's been going on for 20 minutes, and they're just now showing credits? What's, what's going on? Um, really kind of weird pacing. Um, the chemistry, it just like I said, I didn't feel it was there between the two. They had some funny moments, you know. The wheelchair thing was kind of funny, but then they kind of drug it on too long. Um, I never was really sure of what it was Shu Chi's character wanted. She was just meandering like she was in the first film, but she was supposedly over her, her ex at this point. And she wasn't still didn't wasn't ready to, to commit to um, Chin Fang. It was just it just didn't seem to match up. I think this could have been a really smart look at the idea of a you know the so called May December relationship. Um, at one point, 
uh, Gayo's character talks about only having 20 years of life left, you know, so basically they're going to have a 20-year relationship, you know, and I think they could have explored that more. I mean, how is she going to feel with knowing that their relationship may only last 20 years if that's all he's, you know, got left in terms of his lifespan? Nice cinematography, but uh, then again, look at where they're shooting. How could it not be, you know, <laughs> at this luxury resort? Um I think Gullio is okay. You know, he's he's got the chops to do the humor. I uh, just, I was kind of, I felt Shuchi kept, kept bringing everything down. Um, she had her pouty, her typical pouty face on most of the time, and you know, kind of looking off aim, aimlessly you know, off camera. Um, but it was way too long. And like you said, when the friends, the friend has an illness that comes into play. Once that starts, it's like wow. It, the film just goes off into left field. It seems like a completely different film at some points. Had really weird transitions. Uh, they kept using narration at points. It'd be like, um, oh, Xiao Xiao's left, and they didn't see each other for six months until this happened, right? And it's like, and then they're back together, and it's just like weird. Like, they didn't know what kind of stories they were writing. They just had these little vignettes together. Um so, yeah, really disappointing. I would say this is, for me, a TV it only if you have an interest in seeing how the relationship between these characters are supposed to continue. But basically, it's just going through this a lot of the same motions that they went through in the first film. So it's a lot of redundancy. So if you're really interested, I'd say TV it. Otherwise, I don't know. I, I can't say anything more about it. Yeah, I... I I don't know what these two characters are doing anymore in this movie. So it is, they're just going to continue making each other miserable, and one will be unsure, and then you just want to shake one of them and go, hey, this is a 50-year-old guy. You want him or not? Just just, just make a decision. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's going to go on for I don't know how many, when it's going to stop making money, and then it will just be these people making each other miserable again, and it just stop being interesting. The only thing we said we're watching is because it's Goyo and Shu Chi, and I like them, but it's really growing. It's starting to stretch itself thin. So, what what was your final verdict? Is this a TV it or a flea it? I don't know. I I must be a hard cynic. I must be. I it's it doesn't do it for me anymore. Uh, it's barely worth TVing. If you've never been into the franchise, don't do it. If you if you do like the franchise, and I mean a lot, then um, I guess it's worth taking a look. And then maybe you can finally become uh, convinced that it's no longer worth watching. Approach students. Close the circle at the feet of the master. You have come to me asking that I be your guide along the path of Tai Quan Leap. But be warned. To learn its ways, you must learn the ways of your own soul. Let us meditate upon this wisdom now. So. Ah, oh. uh, sir! Sir! Oh, oh, sir! Who disturbs our meditation as a pebble disturbs the stillness of the pond? Me! Ed Gruberman? Ed Gruberman. Yeah, uh, no disrespect or nothing, but, like, uh, how long is this going to take? 
screen film for this week is the much anticipated and eagerly awaited, at least for me, Shaolin, or 
uh, new Shaolin, as the Chinese Chinese title ensues, um, directed by Benny Chan. So this is the story of uh, a warlord. It's set in the warlord period, so in some ways it's kind of in the same genre as, uh, or this, or the same mold as you, you might say, as "Let the Bullets Fly." It's happening in this this time in history in China when things were very chaotic. There was very little order, and all of these different groups were trying to grab for power. And here we find one such person, uh, played by Andy Lau, who's playing a general named Ho Che, and he has a right hand man, played by Nicholas Tse, um, Zhao Man. And the two of them are, they've just won a very successful battle in this, um, of, in this town in Hanan, um, which happens to be very close to where the Shaolin Temple is at, uh, as circumstance would have it. Um, and Ho Che, Andy Lau's character, is afraid that uh, his longtime uh, sort of brother-in-arms, comrade-in-arms, and fellow general is going to betray him. So he sets up this plot to double-cross the general. Little known to Andy Lau is that there's actually a double-double-cross in the works uh, coming from his underling. And this puts Andy's character on the run, and he's ultimately forced to flee to uh, the Shaolin Temple. And after a series of tragedies... He decides to stay there and try to take up the role of an aesthetic monk. And so that basically sets the premise. There are probably a couple spoilers in there uh, in a minor way, but nothing that you can't really figure out if you watch the trailer. So this is really a classic old, old school martial arts film. Um, everything that you think you'd see in a film with a title Shaolin in it um, you know, is here, whether it's, you know, new legend of Shaolin or Shaolin Poppy, right? Um, <laughs> you've got old abbots, you've got cute kids in monk uniforms, you've got lots of kung fu, you've got a nutty old master, you've got ideas of repentance, which are, you know, symbolic of Buddhism, the philosophy and or religion, depending on how you look at it. Um, the interesting thing is, is that the events that are going on here... Um, in including the burning of Shaolin Temple, were based on historic fact. Um, and during this period, in fact, if you look in some history books, you can even look on um, online, Wikipedia and whatnot, um, Shaolin was actually burned during this period by a, a KMT general. I think his name was, uh, was Shi? Um, Shi Yosan, I believe his name was. Um, a real turncoat general who was famous for betraying a series of different people, including big names like Chiang Kai-shek. But he was responsible, supposedly, for burning down the temple. Andy Lau's character, I guess, is kind of sort of based on him, but not really. Um, So these are not historic events that we're seeing. Um, Andy plays the ruthless role really really well in, in the beginning of the film, but when we get to the middle and things go against him and he converts, I felt it was a little bit too quick. I felt it was a little bit too easy, too off the cuff. I think there needed to be a bit more development in that area. (coughs) Um, But in between all this, there's some great sort of classic action fight sequences and thankfully very little CGI. 
if there was, I mean, there's CGI in some some scenes with fire and explosions, but in terms of like the martial arts and a lot of the stunt work, it looked like it was very old school, very traditionally done, which I was very thankful for. Um, and, you know, some of the shots are a bit contrived in places. Uh, there's a scene where Andy's, like, falling into the hands of the Buddha and, and things, and you're just going, oh, okay, yeah, we get it. Um, it's a little bit obvious, right? You don't have to hit us over the head with a cudgel. Um, but overall, you know, it was really good action. The story was kind of predictable, um, but you're not really looking for an overly deep story in a, in a film like this. Um, but the old-school stunts were very good, except... I don't know how many horses got injured or maybe even killed filming this, but they had some some shots of some horses using like old trip wires, tripping some horses that were just doing face plants right into the ground. Um, I don't know. I, I doubt they had any you know any people from the um, you know Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals on the set when they were doing this, but um, hopefully that it was more painful looking than it actually was. I hope none of those animals got hurt. Um, I, you know, I remember watching, what was the Andy Lyle movie? Battle of Wits. No, mm -hmm. not Battle. Was it Battle of Wits? Running, running on Karma? No, no, or no. The, the, the Battle of Wits is the, uh, that's the, uh, war movie. Yeah. 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 There was this, I remember watching that. There's a scene in there where like a horse comes charging in and bursts through fire and, and, and falls down or something. And it was a CGI horse, and it looked really lame and cheesy and cheap. And I was thinking, you know, why do they do that? But then when I see these real horses getting hit with tripwires, and I'm just going, oh, God, why do they, why do they, you know, it's, it, I, I, I can't be pleased. I know, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a difficult person to please. Um, there is a scene in here where, though, the directors are still playing the foreigner nationalism card um, towards the end. And even, you know, even when it sort of goes against the historical records, but okay, yeah, they're going to do it. It's still a good film. Um, it didn't ruin the film for me. I got to say, see it. Definitely see it if you can see it in the cinema. Kevin, what did you think? Well, first of all, about the horse, I always bring back the what I what I thought about Detective D was that uh, the UCGI deers in Detective D. And I was I always said, man, back in the 90s, Trey Hart used real deers. To, yeah. to try and kill Andy Lau, and you know, uh, yeah, I'm glad they're real using real horses here for some degree of realism. Um, as for the film, I, I don't think I liked it as much as you do. Um, I don't think it did anything new. Um, of course, the Shaolin Temple has been such a hot property that it's been used in cinema for a long, long time, and this is actually the second film ever to be officially approved by the Shaolin Monastery. Uh, you remember the beginning, uh, the Shaolin Monastery is one of the producers of the film. So obviously, this uh, Shaolin-approved uh, film here. Uh, a lot of things about Buddhism, a lot of things about finding peace and Zen and all that stuff. But it never really ran too true to me. Um, the, the the story is kind of tiresome. Um, the only thing I am glad is that they never made Andy Lau, the Andy Lau character, do the uh, Karate Kid thing. Uh, where it, before he starts training in Kung Fu, he has to carry water her and, and do all these uh, Manao chores, uh, even yeah. though he does do his time in the Well, kitchen. he was, I mean, he was kind of a, a badass to begin with. Yeah, yeah. So so, so I was glad that uh, that they make him do all that, that stuff. And that's, you know, that's one cliche I'm glad they didn't use. Um, he is okay. Andy is okay in the film, but Nicholas Say, I thought, was, was absolutely a badass. Um, despite 
everything is really superficial in the film, including the way the villains look. Um, once Nicholas say the character, once he went badass, once he went villain, suddenly he started growing a bit of facial hair and started having like the most the the, the most glam hairstyle since the eighties. Yeah, like, def- definitely not nineteen twenties period hair. Yeah, that was definitely not twenty eighteen. That was almost Donny hair. A bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the way he used that hair, but uh, he was he was really great as a villain. Um, no, thankfully, no terrible flashbacks of the promise, uh, which was on TV the other day, by the way. Uh, so I saw the infamous golden finger again. That was great, but none of that uh, is in here. Uh, I thought Nick Say was great, uh, this, even though he's playing the the the, the role that everyone hates. Um, Jackie Chan was kind of refreshing. He was doing the comical psychic thing, uh, which was nice. Uh, it was nice to see him kind of scale back. Uh, he's only has a supporting role here. Um, yeah, I thought he was good here. Quite good here, actually. Quite fun. Even it seems like he didn't have to carry the movie, so even he seems a little more relaxed. Um, Benny Chan, a uh, good choice for material. I really couldn't think of anyone else to handle such big budget material. I think it costs something like twenty nine million US dollars. Um, he so he he does action movies well. So the action was really solid. Um, not a surprising choice though. Um, and. Uh, a kind of a film school rant here that that I, I mentioned on my Twitter is that um, Benny Chen used way too many kind of sweeping crane shots. He's almost almost um, too overzealous during dramatic scenes. So, uh, during the way he uses camera, it's really distracting when he's always going for these big crane shots. And you keep thinking, they're in the middle of mountains. How do they get the money to, to do all these crane shots? And it, it never kind of left my mind. But nevertheless... Um, Benny Chan handles the spectacle quite well. Uh, I like the action in the first half better than the second half. Uh, second half, a lot of it just became blowing up stuff and um, too much wire fool for me. Even though the Shaolin monks were, were relying on, on on flying on wires and and um, it came it came it became a little too much for me. I don't know about what you what you thought, poor. I mean, Corey Yen is a is a great action choreographer, uh, and the hand to hand combat stuff in the beginning was quite good, and and also the the horse chase uh, had its moments. But I thought it was way too many wires uh, towards the ending of the film. I don't know. I didn't really it didn't really stand out that much for me. Um, I, I don't know. I it wasn't really looking. To, I mean, because there was some there. It just didn't. It didn't seem like it was being overly used. And and but mm-hmm. I think your point on the crane shot. I did notice a couple of shots where I'm like, okay, um, that seemed kind of unnecessary. Uh, so yeah, I do understand that point a little bit. Yeah, Benny Chen is is he he said this before that he doesn't know how to make art film. He is a very commercial filmmaker, but I think almost to the point where. He is way too showy as a technical director. Um, there's this one shot. Uh, this especially you can't you can't not notice it. Is that it, it's towards the end. And it's flying straight into the temple, through the gate, and then into a courtyard. Uh, it's seen you see this in a trailer as well. And I was afraid that it would become too showy, and it was way too showy. It's nothing like, you know. The, the, a shot that's similar to this is Trey Hark in Time and Tide when you have a similar shot with uh, the, 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 the camera literally falling down, falling a character down a chute uh, on a building, going down several stories. Now that's that was kind of exciting in that in, in the in the action in that action sequence in that time in time and tide. And and it kind of worked with the energy of the whole 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 scene and it was perfectly edited in. But here 
Benny Chan is using way too many sweeping shots for the sake of using sweeping shots. Um, but that's the way Chan has always been. Um, and um, just kind of things that film school students, I guess, would really notice. But uh, normal, normal moviegoers might not. Um, and then that didn't really make me all that excited. It was fine. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, it ran 130 minutes, so it was a little long. Even though the original cut was three hours, which might explain... Um, your complaint uh, about about how Andy's transformation was a little too quick. Um, mm. Maybe the three hour version would would be better, but I'm just not that interested in seeing a three hour version of the film. Um, and like you said, the rah rah foreigners, it was really tiring. The the way they the the evil laugh at the end, and um, I'm not sure if this is a spoiler, but um, how 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 abruptly the film ended on what on a note. That there was a final challenge with the foreigners, and in the end, by the time they kill, they they get rid of the foreigners, and the film just ended. There was almost no resolution to everything else uh, to the film. It was too too simple. It was, and, uh, and of course, there's no mention of the you know the continued history and persecution of Shaolin during the Cultural Revolution, right? When um, you know martial arts was outlawed, and they went in and they. Uh, persecuted uh, some of the monks there and got rid of all the well, a lot. They destroyed a lot of Buddhist, uh, you know, writings and things uh, because it was this time of upheaval. And the Red Guard went in and said, "All out with the old." You know, everything that's old is is feudal thinking and it's bad. And a lot was destroyed and a lot was lost. There's of course no mention of that here. And today, you know, it's a it's a big dollar tourism industry, so they're very happy. Um, to you know, sort of promote that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, so in the end, this kind of felt. I don't. It didn't feel like a sincere film to me. It was a fine action film. It's entertaining. Um, I think it's it is worth watching on a big screen. Uh, I would say see it, but I wouldn't put it in capitals. <laughs> I wouldn't go see it. I would just if you like action films, I would say see it. If you don't, if you're just watching the stars or watching, uh, just looking for a day. Afternoon Kill TV is fine for me I think This film had really funny Some funny subtitles uh, Almost some of the most Understated subtitles In the history of Chinese cinema So you have, a, cinema. you have a Subtitle of the week for us? I have two subtitles of the week What? 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 Huh? This week in subtitles uh, One character before he kills an, One monk before he kills another person Says Don't temper the Shaolin Temple Yes I would never Temper with the Shaolin Temple. Um, also, the the second the second subtitle will be during the uh, the final fight. Um, I believe when uh, the things are about to get heated and, and you know someone's about to die and then Andy Lau says, "Just call it a day." Yeah, just call it a day. That's one of the Buddhist teachings. That's right. Yeah. When it's when the, in the situation of life and death, I think it's just the, call the it a fifth day. sutra of the Buddha. Just call it a day. <laughs> when life's get when when life's worries have got you down, you just call it a day. People talking in movie shows, people smoking in bed, people voting Republican. Give them a boot to the head. Boot to the head.
a car Politicians who can't think The salesman who won't leave me alone The waiter who forgot my drink Well, I think we're going to just call it a day or just call it a show. Um, we don't have any West Screen films for this week. We hope to have some for our next episode, but I haven't seen anything. Um, Kevin, I don't know if you've seen any West Screen stuff, but we had a really nice interview. Again, we would like to thank uh, Mr. Spomberg for sitting in and telling us a little bit about his uh, project. And if you're interested, you can keep following his development as that goes through post-production and we hopefully get to see it fairly soon so as always you can keep up with us on our website over at www.concast.com um, or you can check in with us over at itunes and leave us some comments there we'd like to hear from you um, or you can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com you can send us an email or send us an audio file if you'd like to ask a question or you know, make a comment about uh, an East Screen film or a West Screen film that we've talked about or you'd like us to talk about. Um, Twitter, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on twitter.com slash foxlore and Mr. Ma is the golden rock. Um, yeah, where else can they find you and your famous writings? Uh, sometimes you could catch me writing a review or two on uh, lovehkfilm.com. Uh, as you can see, this week I have uh, The Road Less Traveled, uh, and I still hope to be writing reviews for Norwegian Wood and uh, Confessions and maybe a few Lunar New Year movies, whereas we do have quite a few this year, and, and Kozo, he just can't bear all that pressure. Yeah. Um, and speaking of the Lunar New Year, that's uh, next week. That's right. So uh, I'm not sure when our next show is. If we'll be recording next week or no, we could. We, we should record next week. Uh, not sure. If there's any new films to talk about, but we should definitely. Uh, well, I think they had mentioned possibly a Saturday screening of I Love Hong Kong. Oh yes, yes, we're definitely doing that. So we could talk about I Love Hong Kong yeah, next week. So. Maybe one or two of the. I, I'm trying to watch Little Fockers and Tangle uh, this weekend. All right. Yeah. So that should be good. Uh, yep. So we'll look forward to that for episode uh, 54. All right. Well, uh, I think we'll leave it at that. And we'll, again, wish you good viewing. And we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Stay warm.
All right, let's talk about a couple spoilers for if you are the one to. Um, so, dear listener, if you plan to see this film and you have not yet seen it, you have been warned because we're going to spoil some of the things that come out at the ending. Um, so, yeah, we talked about the the friend, um, um, Shang San, who basically gets melanoma and yes. it spreads throughout his body and he's only got you know a few months to live. And he has basically a happy funeral. It's a funeral where, where he has everybody come and speak about him, but he's not quite there. He, he looks like he's dying in the chair as they're talking about him, um, but he's not quite dead. So, yeah, he's, he's enjoying his own funeral to, to some extent. He invites his ex-wives and his daughter and <coughs> excuse me, all these old friends. That went on way too long for me. But then, um, and I, I was you had treated about the controversial ending, something about lawyers or, 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 or people talking about this. I'm assuming it was the assisted suicide. Yes, yes. Uh, apparently, assisted suicides is not legal in China. So what Goyo did could be uh, could be considered murder yeah. in a way. Well, he, he yeah, he. I mean. So if you've seen the film, and hopefully you have, if you haven't, we're going to spoil it. He basically takes him out on a boat. He promises him he's going to let him die with dignity. He doesn't. He doesn't. He, he, his friend's afraid he's going to waste away. He doesn't want to go out that way. So he rents a boat or he charters a fishing boat, and they're out at the ocean. And then you know, basically, um, Shang uh, San casts himself off into the water. He's wheelchair bound, and he just you know and. Goyo doesn't push him or anything, but he's, you know, basically the one who got him out there. So it could be conveyed as assisted suicide. Yeah, and honestly, half of me thinks is the, the, the so-called controversy is just um, the film company trying to, again, one last PR push, just like Let the Bullets Fly, trying to inspire conversation, just like uh, they're trying to inspire conversation in the press about the, the ending and how Soon Hong Lei's character has potential to how big he was in the last, last half hour, how great he was. Um, it's, it was just another part of the stretched out ending that didn't need to be there for me. Yeah. It and, didn't really uh, I mean, make anything I, I, I could see the point of Goyo and his relationship <laughs> with this character, his friend, and everything that was going on if it was in a different movie. Mm-hmm. But it just, for me, it was like so out of left field that this didn't belong here. What did this have to do with his relationship with Shu Chi's character? And then the ultimate insult for me was the very, very ending in which all we're given is another little narrative excerpt that basically says, well, these characters were apart for a while and then they got back together, some say, a few years later. And this is what happened. But that's a story for the third movie, basically, right? Oh, uh, they, dear they, they basically just set up the sequel saying, if you want to find out, do they get together or do they not get together, you got to watch part three, if there is a part three. I, you know, it was just, it was like, I felt like I was being kicked out the door. <laughs> yeah, it really didn't need to be told. I don't need to know where they're together anymore. It didn't really need to, to happen, so to speak, none of that stuff. Do you want a want a third movie, Paul? Do you do you think you could stand these people anymore uh, any further? Um, not if they not if they do what they did with this. 
you know, uh, way too much product placement, um, just not really engaging with what was going on between the two characters. No Even resolution. this one didn't really justify its own need to exist. It didn't really move the story along. It just the, the conflicts kind of came out of nowhere. I yeah. felt um, and there were just there were just places where it was just weird. It was like they set up a scene to happen and it would just like it would just jump to another scene and there would be like no connection in some places i don't know it's it, it seemed like he started out doing a sequel and then suddenly he got the idea that he wanted to do this other thing and then just pieced it all together i don't know yeah but you know it made it made uh the shares the shareholders happy including uh feng shakan himself so who knows two years later maybe we'll see a third installment and let's all take an oath on a stack of cash 